For podcast articles and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. All right, everybody, here we go. My name is Rob Carter, filling in for Tony Colombo and Katie, the Colombo and Katie show. If you've never heard of me before, I do a show on Sunday night on this very station from, uh, what, 6 to 8 o'clock on Sunday nights and just... Just made a deal to do a show uh, beginning on January 29th, starting at 8 o'clock, 8 to 10 p.m., and I talk about everything you can think of, politics, sports, religion, you name it, if it's taboo a little bit, and a little bit edgy, I like to talk about it. I get, uh, you know, for me personally, I just think that information that is out there can be very compelling if you put it all in order, so I like to do that. And I think before I get started, I guess you got to understand who I am and who you're listening to. I'm from St. Louis, born and raised, been here my entire life, and just recently moved to Florida with my wife, who's also from St. Louis. And we've been going back and forth between Florida and St. Louis because I made a career change. But I coached baseball here in St. Louis. A lot of people know me from the area. Because I grew up and I'm 54 years old, and you know how St. Louis is. Everybody knows everybody. Went to school at Omsel. Started a baseball organization, if you have kids that play baseball. Called the St. Louis Gamers with Matt Whiteside and former St. Louis Cardinal Scott Cooper. Guy by the name of Mark Gallion and another St. Louis Cardinal by the name of Scott Terry. We began this baseball organization. I'm very heavily invested in sports and now developing a sports show as well. So my whole life... Went from the shoe business, I was an uh, Al Bundy type, worked in retail, then got into wholesale, and my entire life from age 15 on was in the shoe business. So my perspective comes from the business world and the sports world, and as I always say, led me into politics, because politics is a sport, and it is big business, if you haven't figured that out yet. So I like to explore all of the options. I like to look at the people in the media and go, what are these people up to? Especially the national media. I'm not a fan of Fox News. I make that very clear on my show. I'm not a fan of MSNBC or CNN or ABC or CBS. Any of them. I think they are a distraction device to give you just enough information to keep you confused. They don't tie anything together so that people can make good decisions for their life. Within the shoe business, I built a very nice career. But I was a poor kid. Had no money, had nothing. Had to make everything on my own. Had to begin and start everything on my own, as many of you out there have to do. And I had a nice life. I was living in Florida with my, uh, with my childhood sweetheart. We got married, and I had built such a career that I had a guy out in Los Angeles offer me a job. I take it. I worked for him for about three months, and the reason I bring the story up is I'm going to tie together how I ended up in St. Louis radio and in St. Louis media. I start working for this guy. My job is to place Shoes in your retailers, your Dillard's, your Nordstrom's, your Foot Lockers, these types of places, and all of the independent accounts around the country. And that's my job. And because I had been in it for so long, I know everybody in the shoe business as well. Like I said, I'm 54. I started when I was 15. But I didn't want to work for corporations anymore. 
I worked at Clark's. If you remember, uh, a lot of people know Clark's Shoes, but when I started with them in 1994, not many people have heard of, uh, had heard of Clark's at that time. Then I left there and I went to work for Skechers, got to work for a big corporation, learned a lot about marketing. That business, when I was there, had just crossed $1 billion. I think they're closer to 6 to 8 to $9 billion now. So although it was a billion dollars, it was relatively new. It had only been about 10 years old. The people at Skechers, for those of you who are a little older, might remember L.A. Gear. L.A. Gear crashed and burned, and the same people that started L.A. Gear and built that to a billion-dollar business then turned their attention and renamed a brand Skechers and went at it again. So very strong marketing people. And marketing at its core is the ability to create a picture in somebody's mind that drives them to purchase. It influences them to purchase something or to listen to something. It's an influencing tool. So I learned a lot about that. And then I went on to a couple other companies. I was the president of a private company out in, well, it wasn't private. It was publicly held, but it was small out in San Diego. And I ended up at Kohlhan. Now, if you guys are in the workforce, you know what Kohlhan Shoes is. Better men's brand out of Manhattan. And at the time, I was going back and forth between Manhattan and St. Louis. Had a $100 million business that I was overseeing. And I hated it. I just didn't like the corporate world. My wife started to recognize this, left, went to work for uh, this guy out in L.A. that I started the conversation talking about. And I worked for him for about three months, and I'm going back and forth between St. Louis and Los Angeles. And while I'm in uh, in St. Louis, I get a call from him, and he says, and he talks like this, so I do his voice, Rob, uh, can you come out to Los Angeles today? And the first thing I'm thinking is this is probably bad news. And I said, well, I can come out as soon as I can get a flight out. I go, is everything okay? And he says, yeah, I just want to uh, talk to you in person. If you can come out to Los Angeles, I'd love to speak to you. So the next flight that you can get out, come on out, and we'll have a conversation. So now that he's told me it's not bad news, I'm like, well, what's he got going on? What is happening here that he wants me to fly out to Los Angeles in the in an instant? Couldn't get out, of fly, couldn't get out on a flight that day. Get the first flight out on the following morning. I fly into Los Angeles. I go into his compound, which is this enormous real estate that he has in the on the east side of Los Angeles. I walk in. He invites me into his office, and he's got pictures of Bill and Hillary Clinton and him all over his walls. He's got an Abraham Lincoln statue in his office. And it's a very interesting scene. I had never seen it before, so I'm walking in for the first time. And he stands up, he gets up from behind his desk, and he stands up and he says, Rob, I would like for you to work for me for the rest of your life. And I'm thinking to myself, well, he's paying me nice. This is a good idea. I'm in. Uh, If you want me to work for you for the rest of your life, uh, for the rest of my life. And this goes on. I worked for the guy for about five years. He could not have been better to me. Our entire business was destroyed for two reasons. The brand that, well, it's not destroyed, but it, it, it's still going, but it, the uh, the chance that we had to make that brand go from a few million dollars to a hundred million dollar business was lost over politics, over Black Lives Matter riots in the major cities that closed down all of the businesses that made or break my brand. And I thought that would be the last opportunity. I sold into shoes to all these accounts. As soon as the shoes hit, all of a sudden we have riots all over the country. 
and retail just started to slow down and stop. And if you own a business out there, especially a retail business, you know how important it is that first impression. You got to get your brand out there. You got to market it and it's got to sell right away so that it can, so that it can expand. Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and all the riots that were happening at that time squashed my first impression. And it cost my company a lot of money. I really thought that would be the end of it. I thought it would all fall apart from that point forward. But no, I got a job for life. Don't forget. So he calls me back out. We're going to make one more run at it. Now, the second time around, it's much more difficult. You're trying to get customers to buy shoes from you again. And we're talking about a lot of shoes. We're talking about when you're getting orders, they're half a million to a million dollars from some of these big accounts. It's a big deal. And they're all under the gun, too, because they have people to answer to as well. But I do. I work hard. I'm traveling. I'm trying to coerce people. I'm telling them what the future is going to look like. We just got to get these shoes in. I got a great team behind me. We know what we're doing. Give us a shot. Put us in your stores. And we do it again. And wouldn't you know it, the second time we put them in, COVID happens. COVID happens, and we shut down for two weeks to stop the spread. And stop the spread destroyed my opportunity with that business. So from that point forward, the business just shrunk down. We we had had two bites at the apple. Uh, both turned poisonous. Couldn't get it off the ground the way we wanted to. And now I'm just um, I'm, I'm, I'm making a chunk of money, but there's really no opportunity that we can figure out. We got a couple of counts that have stuck around with us that are paying the bills. And he calls me back out. Says, Rob, I need you to talk to you. Can you come back out? I come back out again. And he was paying me a lot of money, so he, he says, here's what I want to do. I want to pay you X amount of dollars, which was a six-figure income, and we're just going to take it slow. I don't want to spend a lot of money on marketing. I've wasted millions of dollars trying to get this off the ground. Nothing to do with you. He's trying to make me feel good about the situation. He goes, it had nothing to do with your efforts. It's just, you know, we got rolled up in uh, the situation of the world. So now I'm sitting around my house, basically, and I'm traveling maybe two or three days out of the month. I'm very energetic, so I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my day. I have to be around in case business happens, but for the most part, nothing's going on. So I'm collecting a paycheck and doing nothing. And a lot of people would look at that scenario, me included at the time, and think, well, this ain't so bad. I've got a six-figure salary, and I don't have to work. I'm in the sunshine state of Florida, going back and forth between St. Louis uh, and Florida to see my family here in St. Louis. And to spend time with my wife and her family in Florida. And this goes on for about six months, seven months. And my wife looks at me and she goes, is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? And I said, not really. I had begun a podcast that had started to take off. So I had two things going at one time. So my personality is I had to be I had to be doing something productive, even though my career in the shoe business was at a crossroads. And I knew I didn't want to leave the guy that gave me a job for life because he was too good to me throughout the COVID scenario. When everybody else lost their jobs and were applying for PPP loans, I still got a check from this guy when I was on vacation, basically, for months. So I didn't want to leave him, but I wanted to I wanted to be productive. I wanted to do something that mattered. I got to the age where I'd raised my kids, and I thought, I want more out of life than to sit around and collect a check, although it is wonderful I'm not really ready to retire just yet. So my wife, and I wonder how many wives out there and how many husbands would think their wives would say, you know what? Take that 
check that you're getting every month, put it to the side, and let's spend the money that we have saved to chase an idea. And that idea was to get into the political arena to entertain. My show, I try to make it as entertaining as possible because I just don't think you can keep people interested unless you're entertaining them. You got to make it funny. You got to make it, you got to make it fun to listen to. But at the same time, somebody, a journalist, there's not a lot of journalism going on if you haven't noticed. But that's what I went to school for. I went to school at UMSL. Then I went to the broadcast center for a short amount of time. And I wanted to study broadcast journalism because I wanted to be a sportscaster back in those days. So I turned down the money. I went out to Los Angeles, told him I was going to begin my own uh, a new career. And I would still do anything for the guy. He's uh, part of my heart now because of the way he treated me. But I had to go and find my own way and do something different. I had just reached the age where I wanted something more for myself. I wanted to be a part of something that could change society, if you will. And I know that sounds grandiose. I get it. I know when I say that to people, they think I'm absolutely insane. But if you know me well, you know that I'm highly competitive and highly motivated. And I like to get things done. I like to make magic happen, if you will. And my wife allowed it. She said, honey, you know what? Go to St. Louis. And the reason I'm in St. Louis is because of all the connections. I couldn't do what I'm doing in Florida because I just didn't have enough people in my network. But in St. Louis, I know a lot of people. I'm like Kevin Bacon in St. Louis, six degrees of separation. You give me your name, where you went to school, where you live, give me your five friends and I'll connect to you somehow, some way. And a lot of you are like that in St. Louis. That's just the way this city and state is the way it is. But I always thank my wife for giving me the opportunity because how many people would say, you know what? Instead of taking that money in, don't take it because you're not earning it anymore. There's nothing to earn here. You're getting a check as almost like a, uh, uh, like a made man. You're just getting a check, but you're not really doing anything anymore. And she says, no more. I want you to be you again. It's not about the money. It's about being happy. And if this is what makes you happy, let's put a certain amount of money aside, go to St. Louis, stay there for whatever it takes, four to six months. She did put a time limit on it. <laughs> it wasn't going to be a deal where I could go forever. She said, give yourself four to six months, go to St. Louis, build your connections, build your network, build your show, get better, listen to what people have to tell you, and let's see where it goes. So having said all of that, my show will be aired on this network, on this station, the freest speech station in radio in St. Louis, by far. That's why I love it. Newstalk STL, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't noticed, we get to say what we want on this station within the bounds of the FCC guidelines, as I'm often reminded. <laughs> uh, but my show is from eight to 10 o'clock, Monday through Friday. It starts on January 29th. The Rob show, eight to 10 PM, starting on January 29th. If you're in your car, if you have a phone, if you have a computer, I urge you to listen. We're going to get some things done in St. Louis. We are going to hold politicians accountable in Missouri. I'm dogged. And I do it respectfully. I think a lot of politicians are afraid of me because they're not sure what I'm going to ask them. I'm not looking to hurt anybody. I'm looking to ask questions, see how they are answered, and let everybody see it for themselves. You get to vote on what you see. But I don't like a lot of things that are going on in Missouri. I don't like a lot of things that are going on nationally. 
And what I figured out when I started studying politics at a very high level about 10 years ago, I've always been a news junkie. I was the guy that watched Fox News morning news and night and got into that whole thing. But when I started studying on my own and not taking everybody's opinion, I started to realize there's a lot going on behind the scenes that people don't recognize, that they don't understand, and it needs to be addressed. Doesn't mean everybody in politics is a bad person. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying they're all thieves, but many of them are. And they make decisions on their best interest, not yours. And that's not what it's all about when you're in a republic. It is representative government. Representative government has to represent the will of the people. That means elections have to be cleaned up in Missouri, Governor Parson. Secretary of State Ashcroft. Mike Kehoe, who's running for governor. And Bill Igel, who's running for governor. I don't know who's running on the Democrat side. I don't even pay attention to it yet because Missouri is so red that unless there's some, some catastrophe, I can't imagine a Democrat winning. We have a super majority. So I stay focused on the Republican side. All Democrats are welcome on my show. I'd love to have conversations with you because you have a lot of social issues that I don't understand where you're coming from. And I'd love to bounce it around and see where you're coming from. See how it makes sense to you and see if it makes sense to the audience. But we have to begin a conversation in this state. We have to make it better. We have to do things that improve our society, improve our schools, improve our roads, and improve unity. Because the network news wants us fighting all the time. You can think of the radio hosts and the podcasters and so forth. They're angry all the time and they want to fight. And I get angry. I get aggravated. I get frustrated with what's going on. But the only way out of the situation that our country is in, if you haven't noticed, we're in a little bit of a sticky situation, is to get people to talk again. When I was a kid, I can remember a lot of debate. We had Channel 9 and there would be debates there. Uh, SR1 Sundays, the producer of my show on Sunday night, Phil Valencia, he loves William F. Buckley and Firing Line because he loves long-form debates. Loves it. Intellectual people that want to know what's going on, they want to see a real conversation. They don't want sound bites and they don't want a bunch of television commercials. They don't want name recognition to win all of the elections. They want the issues discussed so that they can think through them and recognize which side they agree with. If If either. Sometimes they don't agree with either. And I just had a conversation like that with State Senator... Bill Igel. And I want to tell you a little bit about Bill Igel. I'm not endorsing Bill Igel. I tell everybody that comes in, I don't endorse candidates, not what I'm doing. I may like what you have to say, but I like what Donald Trump had to say. I like what a lot of people had to say that didn't get a lot of things done. As far as I'm concerned, I know that angers a lot of people and I'll get into Donald Trump later. I'm not a hater, but I got some questions for him. But this conversation with Bill Igel that I had He never says, Rob, don't talk about this or don't ask me this. He never gives me a time frame. He says, I'll talk to you as long as you want. He wants to get out his point of view on the issues. And I don't agree with everything that the man says. But I'll say this about Bill Eigel. He's hustling. He's all over the state of Missouri. He takes interviews. He sits down and will talk to you for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, and you can ask him whatever you want. And I hit him with some curveballs when I was in front of him. Believe me. 
but he handles it with grace. He's a jovial warrior, and he's somebody that the American people and the state of Missouri need to pay attention to. It is the underdog that people need to pay attention to. It is the people from outside of the bubble that really want to get things done that you have to pay attention to. And that leads me to one other person that I want to well, want to talk about. This guy's name is David Stuckenberg. I played just a little bit of him on my Sunday show last week. He's running for president of the United States, and nobody's heard of him. But he believes that there is a path forward for somebody outside of the system to become president of the United States. What he believes is very similar to what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. believes. They believe that they can get on the ballot, maybe not in all 50 states, but in enough states to where they win a few, pick off a few states here and there, and that neither Democrat or Republican, let's say it's Biden versus Trump, they don't get to 270 electoral votes. And at that point, if these guys are correct, I haven't done the research to find out whether it's true. I'm just going by what their advocates are saying. If you don't get 270 electoral votes, the president of the United States is picked by the Senate. And the House of Representatives in D.C. picks the vice president. I don't know if that's good. I don't know if it's bad. But that's what these two guys could potentially do to our elections in 2024. David Stuckenberg is a military guy. Brilliant mind. That was easy to figure out when I was talking to him. Much smarter than I am. He has a company called Genesis Systems. Because he was worried as a military strategist that our water supply was in question. Our fresh water supply around the world was in question. So he built a company. And I don't know where he gets the money from. Those are things I'm going to ask him next time around because he says he's going to come on and do a live show with me. But he built a system that turns water, I'm sorry, turns air into water. Now, if we can turn air into water, that solves a lot of problems for us. And he said, what the country needs right now is not a celebrity. It's not an establishment hack. But it is somebody who can look at very complex problems and figure them out. It's a, it's a very complex world. Our politics have become corrupted. Our media institutions are a joke. Our border is wide open. We have genetic boys playing women's sports. We are teaching racism to our children in our schools. We're teaching it. How do you think the next generation is going to come out? Remember when Martin Luther King said he had a dream that someday he'd be judged by the content of his character, not the color of his skin? Do you think if he'd have understood that that whole thing was going to catch on for a generation, but in the year 2020, 2024, and moving forward, that the only thing that mattered was the color of your skin and your sexuality, that we would be divided across every, every single thing that you can think of? That's not where I'm coming from. I'm coming from the Martin Luther King point of view. I think that the government, I think that the media, I think that society should judge people 
on their behavior, on the content of their character. And that is slowly being stripped away in our schools. And I don't like it. And if you're anything like me, you want to fix it. You want to change the path that this country is on. And there's many different ways to do it. And we'll talk about that through the rest of the show. In the next segment, we have Representative Justin Sparks. He's a part of the Freedom Caucus. I urge you to stick around for that conversation. We'll be right back. For podcast articles and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. Once again, my name is Rob Carter filling in for Colombo and Katie on this fabulous Thursday afternoon. As I said before, we like to hold politicians accountable, not in as much that we're trying to play gotcha. I just want to hear what they have to say. My next guest is Justin Rep, Justin Sparks. Uh, he is involved with the Freedom Caucus, and I'm curious. I asked Bill Eigel about it, and I want to get to Justin as well to find out what's going on with the Freedom Caucus. So welcome to the show, Justin. Glad to have you on, my friend. Thanks, Rob. You're doing a great job. Happy to be here and happy to talk about the most exciting thing that's happened to Missouri politics in the last 20 years. Give it to me. That's an exaggeration. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so uh, much as like I'm sure you talked to um, Senator Eigel, is that this is the first time that if you guys all remember, and and a lot of uh, listeners and political junkies will remember the conservative caucus um, back when, you know, the conservative yep. caucus, there's one in the House and the conservative caucus in the Senate, and you'd have these two House and Senate working together and trying to come up with good things and fighting this good fight, but never have we had something like this, which a national infrastructure, the Freedom Caucus in the U.S. House, essentially uh, broke out, spread out around the country, and Missouri's the 11th state to do so. Um, they saw an opportunity here to work with conservative legislature legislators in the House and the Senate and to form a bicameral uh, Freedom Caucus to work together to hold leadership in both houses accountable and really be the conservative North Star, the conscience of the Republican Party platform, conservative values. That's all it is. We're just talking about adhering to things that Republicans are supposed to adhere to, things that Republicans are supposed to believe in, and actually holding each other accountable and saying, hey, man, this is what we're supposed to believe. This is the platform that you signed up for and that you ran as and that you conveniently threw out in all your mailers and radio time during election season. Now the rubber hits the road. It's time to do the hard decision and it's really not that hard. Just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And let's push the state forward and make it a little bit better for the people. And so that's what we're doing. And already we're starting to see some results. Well, you're singing my song. You're right on the things that I yeah. want to do. I keep saying I, yeah, I don't know if you heard the warm up to your, uh, uh, to you coming on, but I gave up my entire life to come back to St. Louis and begin the process of, I just didn't see enough people holding politicians and our government accountable, not just in Missouri, but around the country. I'm like, what is going on around here? Our, our world is falling apart around us and everybody's playing games like it's not happening. And then these politicians come out with these, BS uh, campaigns that they, they never get done what they say they're going to get done. 
And I think to myself, yeah. how does this continue on? How does Missouri keep putting super majorities in Jeff City and then we don't get conservative ideas accomplished in the state? One I, I got to ask you about because I asked Bill Igle. I just did this uh, interview with Bill Igle and I thought he was fabulous in it. But I asked him about Governor Parson. He went out there. There's some uh, Im- immigration coming into the state of Missouri. And he's explaining the cost of it, this and that and the other. And Parson, you know, acted like it was uh, it was all frivolous. He said, I don't know what Bill Eigel is doing. I don't not Bill Eigel, didn't use him by name, but the people that were against it, what they were doing, because this is a federal policy. And in, in, in essence, there was nothing he can do about it. And I'm like, well, the governor absolutely can do something about it. So he can inform voters. He can, there's all kinds of things he can do from his uh, uh, from his post. But. For some reason, Governor Parson says, you know, if the federal government says they want to do anything in your state, it's a free-for-all. And, and uh, I'm told that 51,000, and you're former police officers, I understand, correct? Yes. What does 51,000 illegal immigrants who don't know their way around or not assimilated to our culture, assuming they don't have a lot of money unless the state of Missouri or the feds are giving it to them, what does this do to our state? I mean, from a financial standpoint, from a crime standpoint, from a unity standpoint, when you have people. And look, I'm one of those guys who I, I immigration. I understand it. If I was somewhere else, I'd want to get here quickly, too. But there should be a process, I would assume. And I'm just curious your opinion on this illegal immigration, how you see it and what your take is on it. And especially from the um, uh, from being a former police officer, you have to have some thought process on how this is going down. You know, you couldn't be more uh, right on this issue. Uh, To bring it up is important because we should be trumpeting this from the tallest buildings in every county in our state. First of all, for the governor to say that, um, you know, met the governor, spent time with him, nice man. He's being disingenuous. He's not telling you the full truth because what we have in the state of Missouri is a threat to the security of every man, woman, and child in this state. I am not being melodramatic and I'm not being uh, exaggerating when I say that. You cannot know, we, we cannot track, nor can we vet, nor can we even identify the thousands of people crossing our southern and even northern border every single day. We are not tracking them, we are not vetting them, and sometimes we are not even identifying them appropriately. St. Louis is a, a refugee city. We've been that way for a long time. We've we've taken a huge influx of uh, Bosnians, for example. There's the largest Bosnian population outside of Bosnia is in St. Louis. There is an appropriate uh, way to do this that follows process, follows protocols, safe and secure. What's happening now is not that. That's why it's dangerous. And as the governor, for heaven's sakes, he's the chief executive of the entire state. He's got the bully pulpit of his office. He needs to lead. We need a strong champion and advocate for our state. Not that we don't want immigrants, for heaven's sakes, the country's built on it. We want it to be done right. Furthermore, let's talk about this. You don't want your your influx of immigration into your country and into our state starting with breaking the law, starting with a crime. That's not what you want. We can talk about how can we bring people here? How can we um, make it easier? How can we ensure security and a a proper vetting process, but help people do it legally? I love that conversation. But you can't tell me that the best way is to have people break the law to start their American journey. That's not the American dream. It doesn't work, and it puts our families at risk. And it's got to stop. I got a question for you, too. Um, 
What do you think the motive is? This, these are things that I bounce around, and this is what I like to do on my show. I like to have conversations that are adult. Like when you're sitting around your house and you're talking to your friends, you're like, well, why do we have such mass? Why are our borders wide open? Why are the states allowing these people in, within their borders? What is going on? What is the premise? Why do you think this is being allowed in this country? Have you thought through why this is happening? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm an advocate of the, the great replacement theory. I, I think that it's absolutely real. I I can't wrap my brain around any other reason why we would open our border, our borders. Um, you know, borders, language, and culture. Uh, once I think Michael Savage said that once. He wrote a book about it. It it's it's a it's a way to fundamentally transform the nation when you can no longer rely on your voting base to keep you in power then you will do anything and everything to subvert the normal legal processes in order to stay in power. That's one thing that I've learned in one session in the Missouri House is that people in power want to stay in power. Oh, yeah. and some of those people will do absolutely anything to maintain their power. And so when you see Latinos in double digits fleeing the Democrat Party, when you see black people no longer voting for Joe Biden, well, that they, Democrats can't win without that voting base. You have to replace that voting base and you have to replace it fast. And what you do is, I mean, just look up YouTube videos of illegal immigrants crossing the southern border. I think Veritas did some of this, where they start just interviewing people of who are you going to vote? They all say Biden. They love him. this opportunity. Right. I think, I think that is, I think you're probably right. There's a couple other things that uh, always cross my mind when I think about this situation. One of them is the Cloward and Piven model. Where you, where you overcome the welfare system so much that you bankrupt yourself because they're talking a lot about, and I'm sure you're paying attention to it, digital currency. Uh, digital currency puts a net around citizens. It just says, look, if you want to, you know, it starts off as convenience, obviously, but you could fast forward, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And all of a sudden, if you have a digital currency and there's nothing to back it and you don't have anything tangible in your hand, then you could just see where the government would say, well, for your own good, you can only buy a certain amount of X. You can, you know, because we've got to save the planet from climate change, for example. You can only uh, use so much oil or you can, whatever the, the, the case is, you turn over your constitutional rights to a government that has entrapped you through currency. I always worry about the Cloward and Piven model because we're $34 trillion in debt. Yeah, I look at that number and I look at the way this government runs. I can't even fathom that that would ever get paid off. Uh, you got BRICS nation out there. You got, so you got all of these nations around the world forming their own currency against the yep. United States dollar. And very few people even talk about it. I mean, it's just not even up for conversation. I'm like, well, yep. I don't know enough about finance. It's not my thing. But if you're telling me that 90% of the population around the world would like to get off the U.S. dollar as a global currency, I have a, I have a, I have a guess we're going to be in some serious problems. And the other one I want to talk to you about, you don't have to answer the Cloward and Pivot one because that's just my opinion. What about no, I elections? I want to answer that. Okay, go ahead. I'll, I'll get into elections. Because do your thing. I want you to keep, I, all I do is think about that. Keep going down that road. Keep, go, go down that logical thought process that you just started, and maybe you have already. It's not just one thing. This is a, this is a orchestrated attempt to overthrow and destabilize the entire system. Amen. Fundamentally. Fundamentally. Because it never underestimate the opportunity of a crisis. Never. And I mean, they, the other side articulates this. They don't hide this. If you can destabilize the financial system, if you can overwhelm the welfare system, if you can it fundamentally destroy our borders, what do you have? You have a perfect storm. 
And in the midst of a perfect storm, one thing is certain. Americans will give up their rights in order to feel safe and secure. And that's been done before, and that's exactly what's being done now. I couldn't agree Sorry, more. But now you can go ahead. I, but I just couldn't I agree more. I think, it, I think it's tried and true. It's been done all over the globe. You know, a lot of people, they don't get to travel. I just happen to have a job um, and a life where I could travel around the world. I've been to China. I've been to Japan. I've been to Europe. I've been to South America. I've been everywhere. And I see how their societies run. And I always think to myself, it's, it's nice to visit because you're generally speaking, when you're visiting, you're, you're, you're visiting the nice areas. You're visiting where the tourists go. But if you get into the middle of, if you go to Mexico and you drive out to the middle of the country in Mexico, you see poor people at a, you see poverty at a level that Americans could never even fathom the poverty. I know. We used to go down there and give shoes away. We we had a bunch of companies that would go down and we would set up shop and they, it was they would entice you through going fishing and this type of thing. And then you'd go into the middle of the country and we would hand out thousands of pairs of shoes and the Mexican uh, population would stand in line for days to get a free pair of shoes. And they would come in and we would serve them. We'd put the shoes on their feet. We're, we're trying to... When I saw that for the first time, it was so... I just couldn't believe the poverty. I'm talking about people that didn't have shoes. I'm talking about people that had a, the same pair of shoes where, where you're putting on their feet and there's blisters all over their feet because they're working out in farms and this and that and they have no shoes. This is the kind of poverty that is on the horizon for Americans if they just don't, if, if they lose their currency, if you lose the ability to trade for essentials around the world, I, I don't like to be a doomsdayer. So I always think there's a solution to it. It's just that, exactly as you said, there has got to be leadership. Somebody in this state and in this country has to lead people in the right direction, and it makes me very nervous that they're not. One other thing I want to talk about um, with you, for sure, is the elections. So I'm listening to everybody talk about election integrity. Uh, I studied that issue inside and out when it happened in 2020. Um, I tell everybody there was uh, right-side broadcasting, showed all of the uh, testimony before the state senates. And all you had to do was watch it. It was 19 hours. I remember that because I did it for my podcast, and I watched it twice. There's no doubt whatsoever in the world that the elections were manipulated. I can't say they were stolen because I just don't know how many votes were manipulated. But it was so right. obvious that, they were, that, that, that it was manipulated, and that may not be happening in Missouri. I'm not saying that it is. But Rasmussen did a poll that said 65% of American voters, that's Democrat and Republicans, had no faith in our election system. Why in the world are our elected officials not pounding on the table to say, look, in Missouri, we're here for you. We know that you have to have confidence in the elections. And here's a series of steps we're going to take. We're going to have a state holiday. We're going to get rid of the voting machines and the voting tabulators. We're going to have a voter roll that people can count on. And we're going to have voter, not a driver's license, but a voter ID if you're on the voter rolls that we'll bring to your house if we need it. Why are we doing that? Why is that not a big deal to everybody in, in government? I don't get it. So I think it's a bigger deal than you think, and I think that that's a great idea. We have just started that process. I actually sit on the elections committee, and I know uh, I know other of my colleagues have voiced the exact same thing that you have. We all share the same concern. So what we've started to do is essentially how can we fix it how can we bring confidence back in our elections? So we started the process of actually comparing what has happened in Missouri to other states. And I've had conversations with the attorney general in Texas, uh, Paxton, if you know him. I do very well. To get to the, yes, to get to the bottom of what happened in 2020 in Texas versus Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, 
And what you what you said earlier is exactly true. The election was manipulated. We know that it was manipulated. And this isn't us thinking, oh, I, nothing, you know, it didn't make sense. All those things are true. It was death by a thousand cuts. And hearing from the attorney general specifically as we talked about this, you know, he said, we did things in Texas that they didn't do in Georgia because Georgia and Texas are very similar demographically in how their elections right. go. And essentially they had 12 lawsuits, which they fought and won all 12 to stop what the manipulation of their voting process in Texas. In Georgia, the Secretary of State and Attorney General did the opposite and didn't didn't challenge those things. And look what happened. Yeah, you got Raffensperger down, Raffensperger down there. I, 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 I apologize because you are absolutely fantastic. I've heard a lot of good things about you, my friend. I look forward to meeting you. We'll interview you again. If you got to get a word out to anybody, you're always welcome on my show. Representative Justin Sparks, thanks for joining us. We'll be back with you very soon, I hope. God bless you. God bless you, my friend. All right, everybody, we're going to get into the politics of the day when we return. I've got opinions on a lot of things. I want to I want to give you a preview of what you might hear on my show beginning January 29th from 8 to 10 p.m. on this very station. We'll be right back. For podcasts, articles, and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. If you're looking for the Colombo and Katie show, I'm filling in. I want to... Tell both of them, thank you for giving me the opportunity. My name is Rob Carter. Just got off the phone lines with Representative Justin Sparks. And if you got to hear that interview, I can tell you right off the bat, I like the guy. He's on the same page with me. And as, and as much as you have to put pressure on leadership, oh, you're going to get the same old over and over again. The key to freedom is holding representatives accountable for their votes. You have to know what's going on. I know that people are, they're busy. They're trying to raise their family, trying to eat, trying to stay out of trouble. And you just don't have time to get into all the information that is out there to make head or tails of it. And that's why you got to have somebody that's willing to do the work. I'm willing to do the work. I like doing it. It's fun for me. So I do. And I want to bring your attention to this before we get into uh, this is a relatively short segment. I want to talk about Donald Trump. My show began uh, in 2000, well, it was about three and a half years ago, can't even remember the date. Right as COVID was going down, I smelled a rat. I was in China when COVID began. I watched the propaganda on CNN at the airport in Hong Kong, and I said, what's going on here? That was in October of 2019. I get back, and then the whole COVID thing begins. And I was telling everybody that was listening to me at the time, something's not right here. It just doesn't make any sense because the propaganda they're showing on CNN is somebody walking down the street and fall, face planting, falling face down from COVID. And now that COVID has uprooted a lot of lives, changed a lot of lives, split a lot of families, destroyed relationships. And you know, if you were a part of this and everybody in your family wasn't on the same page, you know what I'm talking about. So I wanted to question Donald Trump. And was trying to, at the time, was trying to get a hold of his campaign, which I was on, and trying to get answers from him. And I didn't get the, uh, I didn't feel really good about what was going on. So I'll say this about Donald Trump. I know that a lot of people are voting for him. A lot of people think he is going to be the answer to our problems, and he may very well be. I'm not trying to diminish Donald Trump at all. I'm saying that Donald Trump, like all people in power, And we're going to talk about this more as the show moves on. All people in power 
have got to debate and answer questions. That's what the society is about. Because we've gotten so far away from it, all you got to do is flood the airwaves with commercials right before the election. They go, oh, yeah, he sounds good. She sounds good. I like her. And then you vote for that person. Doesn't make any sense. You got to pin these people down, find out what they're talking about, make a record of it. And when they start to give you excuses as to why they didn't get things done, you get them out of there. But you got to have a free and fair election in order to do that. What I want to bring to your attention is Donald Trump and the FBI. I've been talking about this on my show for quite some time now. The FBI. Let me give you a series of events that happened within the FBI that you can remember. The FBI and the intelligence agencies, 50 people came out and said that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. The FBI was involved in framing Donald Trump with Russian collusion. The FBI framed people in Michigan for going into their Capitol building as a warm-up to what happened on January 6th. They got busted for it, and two of the people that were involved in that situation were acquitted because the jury believed that the FBI entrapped them. This is your FBI. And then we saw what happened on January 6th. If you're still somebody who thinks that was an organized insurrection, I just recommend therapy for you immediately. You need to see somebody about it because if you honestly believe that there was an insurrection led by the President of the United States on January 6th and nobody brought any guns in America, then again, I think you need therapy immediately. And all of you people that think it, see a doctor quick. Donald Trump just put this out on uh, Truth Social. And I want you to think about this. This is on Truth Social. This is what he writes. The FBI headquarters should not be moved to a faraway location, but should stay right here where it is in a new and spectacular building in the best location in our now crime-ridden and filthy, dirty, graffiti-scarred capital. They should be involved in bringing back D.C., not running away from it, especially the violent crime. I think the FBI should be accountable for taking the vote away from Donald Trump voters in 2020, and I would think Donald Trump would feel the same. Stick around. I have more for you. My name is Rob Carter. We'll be right back. For podcast articles and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com.